Hop Health Week on the Blog Talk Radio and Affiliate Networks. This episode is brought to you by Health Innovation Media. And welcome, everyone. I'm Greg Masters, the producer and co-host of the show. And in the virtual studio today is my colleague, Fred Goldstein, principal co-host and co-founder here at Pop Health Week. Hello, Fred. Hello, Greg. How are you doing out there at Lake Tahoe? Oh, yeah, we're doing great. Well, it's 50 degrees today, and there's no snow uh, here in the village, but we're expecting that to change quickly. So for those of you not familiar with Fred, he is a veteran healthcare executive and the president of Accountable Health, LLC, a Jacksonville, Florida consulting firm of the Journal of Population Health Management and the Advisory Board of Care Innovations Validation Institute. He is a past chair and former board member of the Population Health Alliance. Fred is known on Twitter at F.S. Goldstein. My background includes thought leadership and strategy consulting for hospitals, health systems, and physician-led ventures. I publish and principally author ACLWatch.com, HealthInnovationMedia.com, and PrecisionMedicine.Center. And if your hospital, health system, physician venture, or healthcare conference is looking for marketing support, including digital media content development, curation, engagement, or social media amplification, ping me on Twitter by at2healthguru or email greg at healthinnovationmedia.com. And now for today's special guest, who's making his second appearance on Pop Health Week, but someone we uh, we know well for his thought leadership and academic insights via the original sole standing College of Population Health in the United States, David B. Nash, MD, MBA. Dr. Nash was fa- named founding dean of the college, uh, Jefferson School and now College of Population Health in 2008. This appointment caps a 25-year tenure on the faculty of Thomas Jefferson University. He is also the Dr. Raymond C. and Doris N. Grandin Professor of Health Policy. The Jefferson College of Population Health provides innovative educational programming designed to develop healthcare leaders for the future, and shall we say uncertain future. Its offerings include master's programs in public health, health care quality and safety, health policy and applied health economics, and a master of science degree in population health, including a doctoral program in population health science. Dr. Nash is a board-certified internist who is internationally recognized for his work in public accountability for outcomes, physician leadership development, and quality of care improvement, repeatedly named to Modern Healthcare's list of most powerful persons in healthcare. His extensive portfolio of pro bono and other national activities covers a very wide scope. Through publications, public appearances, his Nash on the Road blog, In an online column on MedPage Today, Dr. Nash routinely reaches more than 100,000 readers every month. He has authored more than 100 articles in major peer-reviewed journals. He has edited 23 books, including Connecting with the New Healthcare Consumer, The Quality Solution, Population Health, Creating a Culture of Wellness, and most recently, Demand Better. Dr. Nash received his BA in Economics, Phi Beta Kappa, from Vassar College, his MD from the University of Rochester School of Medicine and Dentistry, and his MBA in Healthcare Administration with honors from the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. And with that truncated introduction of an impressive career, Fred, over to you. Help us get to know the Dean of Population Health, Dr. David Nash. 
Thank you so much, Greg. And uh, David, it's great to have you on the show today. Great to be here. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Fred. Yeah, it's really a pleasure. And um, as the founding dean, it's always fantastic to hear from you and your interesting perch as to what's going on in population health. Um, you know, as you know, we as a country just went through a very interesting election. You, at the same time or immediately thereafter, held the first Population Health Colloquium Special Edition, which focused on population health policy and strategy and the new administration. So tell us quickly about the conference, what brought it about, and uh, then we'll get into the conference itself. Great. Well, I'm looking forward to giving you the details. So uh, nearly 10 months ago, we were asked by our conference manager, Peter Grant, and his team out of Seattle and Washington, D.C., if we would help put together a conference to give advice to the new president right after the election in November and have it focused on health care. And quite honestly, our team thought it would be a celebration of the progress made under Obamacare. And instead, it turned into a raucous uh, policy free-for-all with leaders from both parties uh, in one of their first public programs post-election. I'm still recovering from all the chaos that ensued in Washington on December 1 and December 2. Yeah, pretty amazing. And I, I, I unfortunately wasn't able to attend, but you really brought in some very powerful people from both inside the government, outside, consultants, policymakers, wonks, operators. What was the general feeling after this election? Well, that's a great question, Fred. I'll give you my personal reflections, uh, starting with some of the plenary sessions that we were a part of. I mean, we were lucky to get uh, Andy uh, uh, Savitt from CMS. He did a great job, and I think Administrator Slavitt was so humble, and he made everyone focus on the fact that CMS is responsible for the care of tens of millions of citizens and that he wasn't going to be dragged into a partisan conversation. In fact, he received a standing, a spontaneous standing ovation from the more than 750 people in the plenary session. I thought it was one of Andy's best presentations ever. And he left the podium with advice to President-elect Trump that there are certain things that are sacred and should not be really, you know, destroyed or altered in any significant way. And among those things is our promise to elder Americans through Medicare. So that was really the first day. That was one of the highlights for me. Then just after Andy, uh, former Secretary of Health, um, Mike Levitt, of course, former governor of Utah. Uh, so Secretary Levitt gave a great presentation as well. And I have to say he was quite magnanimous and made some of the same conclusions that Andy Slavitt did, namely healthcare is a really important part of what makes this country great. And even as a very experienced Republican, Secretary Levitt called for caution and called for cool heads and for an informed policy decision-making apparatus. So the first afternoon was pretty heady, having uh, Andy Slavitt and Mike Levitt. Uh, then I had the privilege of uh, getting on stage and really refereeing a Republican and Democratic policy battle uh, with some of the leading lights, people like uh, Chris Jennings and Kavita Patel coming from the 
Democratic side and largely the liberal part of the Democratic Party. And then folks like uh, Doug Badger and Tom Miller, very thoughtful, very well-regarded members of the Republican policy community. And uh, they were cordial on stage. I had to blow my train whistle a couple of times just to calm the crowd down. And the takeaway from that was it's not as advertised, meaning obviously our listeners are pretty sophisticated at this program. You can't repeal and replace in the same day. Everybody knows that's impossible. And uh, Doug Badger and Tom Miller were very thoughtful about the challenges that the Republicans are going to face in trying to take apart and put back together so-called Obamacare. So, boy, that first afternoon was uh, pretty exciting. Incredible. So, you know, if you think about that and the takeaways from that, um, we we know there are things we can do better in healthcare. We also know there are things that are, like you said, are sort of these areas like sacred in a sense with Medicare and these services for the elderly. Is Was there a sense in terms of population health that, hey, that is a good idea that we expect to continue to grow with? Yes, I, I think actually across the board, the policy folks understood how important the social determinants of health were, how important access to care is, how important preserving Medicaid expansion and access for the poor. Because look, we know if you if the Medicaid expansion is in reverse gear, people won't be able to get to their doctor. They're going to end up in the emergency room. We don't have enough primary care doctors as it is. So preserving that part of Obamacare is going to become a really important political battle as just one example. Uh, so the population health agenda, I think, quite frankly, Fred, is more important today than it was even five weeks ago. Wow. And and was there a sense in terms of uh, HHS Secretary nominee Tom Price what um, he might be doing or where that's going to go? Yes, a little bit. And remember that the announcements about Secretary Designate Price and Administrator Seema Verna, those came out while we were at the conference. So it was pretty exciting. It was actually the day before the conference, two weeks ago. So let me try to synthesize what I learned because I don't have a personal relationship with either of those folks. Um, former Congresswoman Allison Schwartz, a strong ally of our college and the leader of the Alliance for Medicare in Washington, D.C. She was on uh, a panel also later that same afternoon, and she was in the same class, meaning she came to Washington at the same time as Congressman Tom Price. And she told the audience that she had a good relationship with uh, Price, that he was uh, thoughtful, that he was conservative, but that he did his homework. He's not an ideologue. He listens to the facts. So I think she helped to put at least part of the audience at ease uh, later that same day. No one knows much about Seema Verna. She's had a relatively local role within Medicaid only in Indiana. And of course, her connection is to Vice President-elect Pence. So no one could really give a deep dive on her you know, portfolio or her legacy, if you would, in Indiana. 
much more is known in the public record about uh, Congressman Price. And does it does it help in a sense that regardless of Congressman Price's um, conservative beliefs or liberal beliefs or whatever, that it's a physician in that role? Well, that's a great question. I'm a primary care doctor, and Dr. Price is an orthopedist. He's married to an anesthesiologist, so got a couple of subspecialists pillow talk in their house. Um, I think Price is well known for promoting what he believes is uh, physician autonomy. You know, that sometimes is a code word for let's preserve private practice fee-for-service medicine. So there is a concern that I think our listeners need to know more about. There is a concern on the Hill that he is a throwback with regard to physician reimbursement and physician leadership of the team. Uh, we're all about, as you know, in our College of Population Health, certainly we have doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and others as students, and we're all about teamwork. Uh, we are not in support of an agenda that's focused on private practice fee-for-service, so it's going to be an interesting uh, transition to a yeah. leader like, uh, like Tom Price. Yeah, I agree. I picked up on the same issue in just reading some of the materials that have been put out or statements made regarding payment methodologies or things that maybe there's this idea that we keep that fee-for-service medicine, which, we, as we know, creates untold numbers of problems in the, in the system and its operations. Well, I, I think the research evidence, the research evidence is incontrovertible that uh, private practice fee-for-service medicine uh, has pernicious incentives, and, and I'm not going to impugn any one group, certainly not, uh, but I think it, there is very clear that those incentives drive profligate testing, inappropriate utilization, safety and quality issues in our own state of Pennsylvania, uh, where I chair the Healthcare Cost Containment Council Technical Advisory Group, a role I've had for 15 years. I mean, we have data just as an example that shows spinal fusion surgery, a 67% increase in a 10-year period. It's awfully hard to believe that all of a sudden there's a lot more back problems in Pennsylvania. <laughs> and you know as well as I do that uh, when you have a hammer, everything starts to look like a nail. So I, I'm pretty sure that uh, Tom Price knows this, uh, but converting this into public policy, well, that, that's going to be the challenge. Yeah, so if you look at that from a public policy perspective, I guess that's why in a, potentially some of the large medical associations came out and said this is great. Yes, and as you, as you know, I think you're alluding to the AMA's very quick and somewhat unexpected warm embrace of Tom Price, mm -hmm. whereas at the same time, many other groups in the House of Organized Medicine jumped all over that and, and really criticized the AMA for their seemingly rapid uh, endorsement of uh, price before there's any opportunity to have a substantive conversation. Mm -hmm. I think the bottom line here is uh, doctors like me and thousands of others, tens of thousands of others, don't want the public to assume that because price is a doctor, he speaks for all of us.
Right. And thinking about, again, the population health perspective, this really, I mean, I, I, and I know you firmly believe that it's one of the key components to try and fix what ails us here in the United States. Was there a further sense from any of those at the conference who were, say, from the conservative side that, that, that they clearly recognize that? Yes, I would say in particular, going back to my previous comments, mm -hmm. folks like Doug Badger and Tom Miller were very reasonable. They know that unbridled spending will lead to doom no matter who's in charge, and that, quite frankly, programs like Bundled Payment Initiative and Capitation will drive price down and will probably lead to better outcomes. So I was heartened to hear from people like Tom Miller and Doug Badger and others that they're open to some continued manipulation of the economic incentives. Let's not forget, Fred, that Republicans voted overwhelmingly to support MACRA. So right. the silver lining here, which I came to really appreciate after our conference, the silver lining is um, MACRA, I think, is going to emerge as the single greatest physician behavior change legislation in recent history, perhaps more so than the ACA itself. Wow. And, and, you know, getting a little further into it, you had some sessions on various approaches to population health, integration of mental health and some others. What are you seeing out there that's really got you excited, that's driving some potential successes in this area? Well, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up. I mean, we, we had uh, two presentations. One really stands out in my mind, and it was with uh, Jeff Tillery from... Uh, OSF Healthcare, so that's just outside Chicago, as you know. And uh, Jeff's a physician, he's their chief transformation officer. And OSF is uh, a bunch of community hospitals and uh, building an integrated delivery system. So they're emblematic of where the rest of the country's going. Uh, he did a great job showing how they use predictive analytics to figure out which patient's going to need with what kind of resources how they've driven down readmissions for heart failure and diabetes, how they do care coordination with nurse managers. So they seem to have the full Monty, you know, predictive analytics, care coordination, nurses going to the home, doctors who get it, integrated multi-specialty group practices that are taking risk and doing well. So I was particularly impressed by Jeff's presentation. That that occurred in the uh, second day on Friday, December 2. And it was a great way to sort of start to wrap up our conference. Uh, that was one of the highlights. The other highlight uh, towards the end were folks, uh, leaders from Deloitte Consulting like Ann Phelps. And she did a great job because she's been in the White House uh, and, and really understands how the machinery works and what levers you have to pull. So she gave a very good detailed review. And again, she cautioned the audience that nothing is going to happen overnight. Mm -hmm. And and shifting gears a little bit, you're you're the founding dean of the College of Population Health now at Jefferson. Population health is growing by leaps and bounds. You offer you know, fantastic programs through your school. 
what's happening in the academic world? Well, that's great. Thanks for bringing that up. So we are excited. Uh, 2016 is coming to a close. That's really our seventh full year of offering courses on campus. So uh, the Board of Trustees actually created the school back in 2008. We opened the doors in 2009. So here we are seven years later, pretty incredible. Uh, and our population health program, both our certificate and our master's degree are gaining in popularity, as is our academy program, which is more of a CME event. And we're looking forward to, to the future. Uh, there are a bunch of great universities who are using us as a sort of role model. And we have colleagues at, for example, at the University of New Mexico in Albuquerque. So Dean Deb Hellitzer is well on our way to opening her College of Population Health. Uh, we have uh, folks in the University of Mississippi. We have folks at uh, Roslyn Franklin University, the old Chicago Medical School in Chicago, and there are a couple of others. So uh, the good news is we'll always be the first College of Population Health. We're welcoming all of our colleagues. We believe this is going to raise all boats, improve the field, have diversity in the offerings. So we're excited to uh, be out front, and we want to be as helpful to our colleagues as possible. That's, that's, it's really exciting to see the growth. Um, and obviously, you, you kicked that thing off. So congratulations again on your seventh year. That's just amazing. And um, great teamwork. Yeah, it really does take a team, as you said, to build that up. And how many students do you have there now? So as you know, uh, we're focused on four online programs uh, very quickly in uh, health policy, in population health, in healthcare quality and safety, and in health economics and outcomes research. So we have master's degree in e each of these areas exclusively asynchronously online. Across all four of those programs, probably just over 200 students. And then wow. we have another another hundred or so in our very traditional MPH program, which is still taught in person, face to face at night for working adults on our campus. So if you took all five programs, we have just about 300 students. So, you know, we're not Ohio State. I get it. Uh, but uh, who knows? One day we, we, we are, you know, aspire to be bigger than we are today. Oh, that's just fantastic, you know, that one, the growth and obviously, you know, turning people out to help our industry get better, to do more, to improve the health of communities, uh, you know, hospital programs, outpatient programs, et cetera. Just fantastic. Congratulations on that. It's really great. We're, we're in the business of training leaders for the future. That That is the core business, no question about it. And, and, and clearly, as we look at this from a policy perspective, in order to have any impact, you have to have a voice that takes people who understand right. the issues and can bring them up. Do you right. have a, you tend to be fairly well connected, David, any any connections or into the uh, transition team at all? No, not really. Uh, you know, we have friends in the Republican side of the ledger for sure, and a lot of very smart policy people who we have a lot of respect for. I think the challenge is going to be we want to remain uh, outside of the beltway and be in a position to give unvarnished, not politically motivated advice as appropriate. 
again, because of our academic mission, we're all about the evidence and interpreting the evidence and sharing the evidence and contributing to the evidence. So that's a great question, Fred. I'm going to assiduously avoid having any kind of official or consultative role. Uh, We want to be able to be uh, equal opportunity critics and uh, tell it like it is because that's what our students ultimately really want. No, absolutely. And if I worded that incorrectly, what I meant was to provide, you know, the administration or, or Congress or wherever with that unbiased evidence. Because exactly. as we know, there are things we do that work and there are things we've tried that haven't. And at the end of the day, we need to keep pushing the ball forward. I think through our various outlets, which Greg nicely mentioned earlier, but also through the journal Population Health Management, uh, this is the only such peer-reviewed journal in the U.S., Uh, and a very important part of the scholarly conversation and our colloquium, the Population Health Colloquium, coming up in March. It's just a couple of months away now, unbelievable. We're expecting over 800 people to join us here in Philadelphia. It'll be number 17, incredible. And let me tell you a little bit about who's coming to Philadelphia, guess who's coming to dinner in Philadelphia in at the end of the first quarter. So uh, this is the first time we're publicly telling folks, so here you go. Uh, we're gonna start off with uh, Marilyn Tavener, of course, the CEO of AHIP, former CMS administrator. Uh, Tom Sajak, the founder and CEO of Wellcentive. And uh, we've got Chris Hunter, uh, who's the senior vice president and Director of Strategy for Humana, and uh, Jerry Meckles, the, the Managing Director of Accenture's Healthcare Practice. So that's just the first afternoon. So I, I'm pretty pumped about what we're going to be doing here in Philadelphia in March. Yeah, no, that's that's incredible uh, starting lineup already. So obviously Greg and I are looking forward to being there as well, and I believe it's March 27th through the 29th. Is that correct? That's correct, yes. And Remember, too, we're going to have our editorial board meeting for population health management. That occurs on Monday night, Tuesday night, the 28th. I'm going to be hosting a dinner uh, ticketed event with Mike Dowling, the incredibly charismatic leader of Northwell, the old North Shore Long Island Jewish, the largest delivery system in the Northeast, the biggest employer in New York State with 20 plus hospitals. So I'm looking forward to that too. And much more to come and we'll probably have some surprise speakers too, which we can't divulge quite yet. Well, that sounds fantastic. And uh, will there be another Hearst Health Prize this year? Ah, boy, you are a great interviewer. Yes, (laughs) so we're going to uh, administer and deliver the second annual Hearst Health Prize. Uh, I had the privilege of being among the 10 national judges. I don't know the winner, but apparently it's in locked in a vault someplace in Philadelphia who the winner is, and we're going to publicly announce that on Tuesday morning, March the 28th, and then there'll be a press event immediately following the announcement, and uh, we expect to have a, a lot of interest now that it's the second year. We got over 120 detailed applications from around the country, and of those, uh, 10 made it to the final round, 
and the judges worked on those 10 uh, with a lot of energy and ranked them, and the winner apparently has been chosen. That's incredible. 120 applications. Yep. That is just fantastic. And last year's winner, we really enjoyed the opportunity to interview them and learn their story. And, yeah. uh, you know, obviously, congratulations to them for last year. And we're really looking forward to the Hearst Health Prize this year as well. Yes, our colleagues at CCNC in North Carolina did a great job. And uh, I've had a chance to visit with them, too. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much, uh, David, for giving us an update on the conference, on uh, some policy thought, and good luck in all your future endeavors. Thanks so see much. See you in March. Yep, see you in March. And that'll have to be the last word for today's broadcast. I do want to thank Dean Nash for his time and considerable insights today, including reading those important tea leaves inside the Beltway. Do follow Dr. Nash and the Jefferson College of Population Health work on the web via www.jefferson.edu forward slash population health and on Twitter via at Nash Pop Health and at Jefferson JCPH. And for the upcoming Population Health Colloquium in Philadelphia on March the 27th through the 29th, visit www.populationhealthcolloquium.com. Until we meet again on Pop Health Week, for Fred Goldstein, this is Greg Masters saying, bye now. <laughs>